The IT industry has changed quite a bit over the years, and I kind of want to go over today what I have seen in this industry change and what I've experienced in my career. I'm Mike Walton, and this is the Sysadmin School Podcast, CarCast Edition. So I'm doing things a little differently today. You may notice a little bit different voice, a little bit different sound. My voice may sound a little different, and you may hear some background noise. Uh, I'm trying, and we're going to see how it works out, to do what I'm calling a car cast. And I'm sure other people have called it that. I'm not coining the phrase, but it's a car cast. So I have a, a small commute that I do every day. Not every day, but I have a small commute I do quite a bit. And I figured, hey, this may be actually a great time to knock out some podcasts uh, especially if I'm prepared for them. So we're giving this a try. I'd love to hear y'all's feedback and what you think of this episode. If you like it, don't like it. If the background noise is too much for you, then I'll cut it and stop doing it. No big deal. Anywho, in this uh, podcast today, I want to talk about how the IT industry, specifically being a systems administrator, has kind of evolved over the years. And I am doing this off the cuff, so I don't have a whole lot of bullet points planned. So just bear with me here, especially because I'm, I'm driving. So all I'm going to be doing here is just talking. I'm not looking at bullet points. I'm being perfectly safe while I do this. Um, I started my IT career in uh, 2000. I'm going to start dating myself here a little bit more as we, as we go through this. <laughs> I started my career in the kind of early, I guess, early 2000s and that was when I was actually in high school. I was in high school in year in year 2000. I uh, graduated 2002, um, and I started as basically a school internship. I was actually fortunate enough. My high school offered uh, you could get school credit for doing internships at a at a business that would you know basically take you as an intern. I, I know there's different places that still do that. I'm kind of really really hoping that. High schools and other places still do that. I'm not 100% familiar if they do or not, but I, I really hope they do because I feel like I got a whole lot out of it, and it really did kind of jumpstart, I feel, my career in the IT industry. So I I started uh, as an intern. It was a senior, not even my yeah, it was my senior year in high school. Um, I kind of started interning as a just IT kind of help desk specialist, learning the ropes, learning how the IT industry worked, and that kind of thing. I started out actually in the hospitality industry, the IT field and hospitality. And again, this was like 2000, 2000 I guess it was 2000, 2001 um, time frame, and I, I loved it. It was, it was great. I, uh, I'd always enjoyed working with computers, but this really kind of just set my career in motion. And I would basically go there after school not after school but uh half of the school half of the school day i would leave school and drive to the office where i would do my internship and this was an unpaid internship and some of it goes back to uh i think a previous podcast i had talked about or one i've thought about making about how volunteer work is actually very important for building your career and getting gaining experience in different industries and different areas and i feel like again this internship really kicked my career. 
when I started, we were actually, for those of you who may have never heard of this, we were using Novell Networks or Novell Systems. That was our directory services. Um, and you can't say that. I'm kind of using it in air quotes because it was a directory services of some sorts, but it wasn't Microsoft Active Directory as everyone knows it today, which is you know the dominant um, directory service that's out there in businesses is Microsoft's Active Directory. Well, we were using Novell for networks. It was actually a really cool, um, really cool system and application. We were able to handle, you know, user management, user creation, all that stuff. Different shared folder management for users. Every user had a work directory that they could save their stuff onto, and people just it, it just worked. And one of the things that was really nice about it was it even back then, and I say 2000, 2001s. They had versioning control and um, file restoration. So it was probably one of the easier things I've ever dealt with in regards to restoring files that people have accidentally deleted. Um, it, was, it was super simple and even restoring different versions of the file. So someone said, hey, I messed this file up, didn't delete it, but I messed this file up. Can you restore a previous version? And that was actually super easy to do in Novell. I was, I was very um, impressed at how simple it was to actually do that type of restoration work. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very impressed with Novell. The one thing that I did always love and understanding Novell, and again, I haven't used it in years, was the, the way that you had to reboot the servers. And the servers, they ran Novell, but underlining, they ran MS-DOS. Uh, I think at the time it might have been MS-DOS 5, 5.2, something like that. I, I don't fully remember, but yes, <laughs> MS-DOS was the, was the underlying operating system and then Novell kind of just ran right on top of that. Um, so when you shut down, you basically close out your, your Novell uh, domain controller essentially, and then you just be at a DOS prompt. And from the DOS prompt, you'd hit the power button and reboot the computer which is something else that was very prevalent. The computers didn't shut down automatically. When you turned a computer off, uh, back then, actually, it was we were using, I guess it was still Windows 98. Um, we hadn't really transitioned into the Windows 2000 yet, so it was Windows 98 for most people. Um, and that's how you shut those things down. For those of you who don't remember Windows 98, is you would, you would go in and you would say, shut down, and it would basically bring up a splash screen that said, it is now safe to shut down your computer. And in the even even older versions of that, you'd basically shut down Windows. It would take you to a DOS prompt, and you just hit the power button on the computer. A lot of the older computers, the power buttons were actually toggle switches, just those typical like kind of like a kind of like a light switch, on-off type light switch. I, I had a few computers like that over the years, um, but that was where my IT career started. Snowvell, Novell Networks, or Networks for Novell, however, whatever the name was at the time. That's how my IT career started, and. And it was great. We had about, I want to say, five servers that were supporting roughly two to three hundred employees. Um, so did a great, great, actually did a great job at that. And that was that kind of brings me to to one of the um, one of the earlier one of the first points in terms of things I've seen progress over the years. And servers. Were expensive. Servers have always been physical servers have always been expensive to a degree. They've always been, you know, 
you're going to spend a couple thousand dollars if you want a decent server. You're going to spend five or more thousand dollars if you want a nice server. And if you want a really beefy server, you're looking at the tens, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and that hasn't, that hasn't changed too much over the years. But how we utilize the servers has. And back in, back in the day, um, back in that time frame, you crammed as much stuff on a server as you could. And that was kind of the way that we, we worked back then was we, this was before virtualization or virtualization was still very, very young. Um, you would basically cram everything. So your domain controller in this case would be maybe your domain controller, your DHCP server, your DNS server, your file server, it could be all sorts of things. I even had a couple that were SharePoint server at the same time back when earlier uh, earlier versions of SharePoint. And you just crammed all the stuff. And that was one of the things that, that one of the big transitions I actually have seen over the years is, is the kind of waning back and forth of those. So we first did that. Um, then you learned over the years that 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 was a really bad thing because from a, not only well from a security standpoint but also from a resiliency standpoint is because any one of those applications any one of those things crashes and you got to reboot the server you're taking down all these different services that are running on that server so it became kind of a bad thing and the other bad piece of it was actually the security standpoint every time you install an application on a server especially one that takes external requests you are increasing your your footprint. You're increasing your attack surface, if you will. So now you have this server, in the case of what I use, that has very critical services on it. Like you know, as a domain controller, has very critical services on it. domain controller, DNS, um, DHCP. Those are pretty critical services. And then you throw something like SharePoint, or you throw something like Windows File Shares on it. And now you've increased that tax surface that gives people more opportunities to actually, you know, compromise that server. And once they've compromised that server, now they have access to a domain controller, DHCP server, and a DNS server all in one. So not only from a resiliency standpoint, but from a security standpoint over the years, we started separating those roles out and said, hey, okay, we can't run SQL on a domain controller anymore. It's just really bad practice. Okay, great. So we'll separate those out. And in doing that, we separate those out, but we got back to the cost problem. You know, servers are expensive. So if you really wanted to be secure and separate that stuff out, you're spending a lot of money to separate those out. And then, as I continue into this, this thought, um, and then we realized these servers, we're wasting so much money here because these servers are being highly, highly underutilized. And that was really kind of became sort of the birth of virtualization as we know it is we can buy these these servers, these physical hardware servers, and then isolate the individual virtual servers within them. So keeping everything secure, keeping everything on its own distinct server, virtual server, but utilizing the hardware much, much better. Um, and then progressing on with that, I'm basically at this point talking about the progression of of virtualization technologies, we became we got more into Docker and 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 containerize, containerization of applications and services, and that added an even more abstracted layer to where we're basically virtualizing the operating system. So we've kind of like I said, we've kind of waned back and forth in terms of services on servers, but the 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 pattern is always kept 
with the isolate. I I don't know if I can say it <laughs> with isolating uh, the different apps. So we kind of first we isolated servers, then we isolated virtual servers, and then we isolated with containers. We started isolating individual applications and services as opposed to the entire server. And that's the progression I've seen. And we've gotten even, you know, even further down as we go into cloud stuff, and I won't go too deep into that. But as we go even further into cloud computing and cloud technology, we we abstract a lot of that even more and isolate those services into you know the whole terminology of microservices now a bunch of little services that work together to complete a large function so that's that's the progression i've seen in in the virtualization realm and really in kind of the server realm and how things work and to be honest a lot of places are still not there uh, in regards to my career, again, started back and going back to where I started in, in a hospitality, utilizing Novell, uh, Novell Networks, and then later, um, we actually, in I want to say it was 2002, maybe early 2002, we migrated to, um, and this is this is the great one, and I'll, I'll kind of tell, tell on myself at this time, probably early 2002, we migrated over to a Windows, a Windows two, Server 2000 um, is what we migrated to. When, yeah, Windows Server 2000 domain. So we created an entire domain, created Forest with a domain for Windows Server 2000. And we were migrating all of our Novell networks to that, which was great. Um, it was the way that we wanted to go. It was the future. It was how we wanted to progress moving forward. We didn't want to stay on Novell networks. We wanted to get off of Novell and and make sure we were on a, a platform that was stable and you know kind of progressed with being a Microsoft shop. We did a migration from Windows, uh, from Novell to Windows Server 2000, and and the the techniques we used to do the migration were, albeit not the best, um, and really not even the best at the standard at the time, but it was nothing that me being still pretty young in my career batted an eye about. Uh, and the, but it made the transition super simple and actually it saved us in, uh, in an instant. So I'll, I'll tell on this one. We, we did a transition to, to, from Novell to Windows Server 2000. And during that transition, the way that we did it, to make it as simple as possible, we actually did the one thing you tell users and you, tell, and you never should ask your users to do. And that was to provide us with their passwords. We actually, at the time, did not expire passwords. So our passwords at the time didn't expire. They, they just lived on in eternity forever. No one cared to change them. Uh, so we actually had an Excel spreadsheet, a password-protected Excel spreadsheet, that contained every username and password of, our, of all of our users. And I will admit, it made... Um, it definitely made... The transition smoother because we made the transition and no one was honestly the wiser one day we went in we transitioned everybody over to to active directory we we just transitioned them um, and the next day everyone was able to sign in with little to no issue at all um, because their accounts in active directory matched their accounts in novell and the migration was fairly fairly seamless which was exactly what we wanted um, so that was a, a good piece of it. And the, the place where 
like I said, think about it now. It's, it was absolutely ridiculously horrible, bad, no good, very bad practice. But there was one instance where that practice saved me. Um, and that was, I had a user, this is back again, this was probably early, early, early 2000, it was probably late 2002 at this point, um, had a user come to me with a floppy disk in his hand and, um, basically said, help. (laughs) I was like, okay, what's going on? And we took a look and someone had sent him and anyone who's been in the IT field for a while will understand this, sent him a screensaver file used to find these all the time online. You could find different, if you wanted to customize the screensavers on your computer, you'd find these all the time. And it's one of the things people did to really customize their computer. Um, someone had sent him one in a email. And what you will understand if you've been in the IT field for a while is it's a .scr file. And those .scr files were one of the very, were one of the early ways that viruses propagated because of how they executed on Windows operating systems. So, long story short, he ran this file. It did what viruses did at the time, and it basically took over his Outlook and sent an email to everyone in his Outlook um, contacts list saying, hey, I saw this and thought of you with an attachment of an SCR. So it was, it was, a, it was a virus that probably... It, it was a very, very simple virus that did nothing really but propagate itself around, which, again, is pretty much what viruses did at the time. They just wanted the cred to say, hey, how far did I get um, kind of deal. But luckily that happened at the end of the day where most of the employees had actually gone home. And the good news was I was able to use that password-protected Excel spreadsheet to log into everyone's email and delete that email before anyone else could actually open it and execute it. We had a couple people that were able that did it. Um, but for the most part, I would say 90%. I was able to contain 90% of this this spread by having the ability to log in. And at the, again, at the time, we didn't have didn't really have that ability to log into people's emails if we didn't have their username and password. Modern modern email systems give you that right, so it's a moot point now because I could do the same thing without knowing their passwords. But at the time, I had to know their password to be able to log in and check their email and delete this malicious email that came in. So that was one time that the, the thing kind of saved our, our bacon. Um, and at the same time, it was it was still a bad practice. <laughs> so uh, fast forward a couple years, and <clears throat> we were actually able to um, update our security policies. We started doing everything appropriately. No one had... Um, shared passwords anymore. Everyone's password expired after 90 days, even though there was a lot of huffing about that. Um, another another thing that was a, a decent progression, it kind of goes with, with some of the more of the progression of, of operating systems, was um, transition from 98 to Windows XP. And that, I'll be perfectly honest with you, was a tough transition for me. Uh, not using it, but administering it. Administering Windows 98 versus Windows XP uh, was was a tough one for me. And the reason was, for anyone who's used Windows 98, it was, it was there was no profiles. I mean, you could do some sort of profiles on there, but there was no profiles. If I logged into that computer and I saved something on the desktop, Bob logs into that computer, he's going to see what I saved on the desktop. There was no profiles. There was no concept of, of user directories really within Windows 98. 
So if a user were having a problem, I could log into the computer as myself and replicate their problem, typically. Well, with Windows XP, that that was not the case. We had this, this concept now of profiles, and I had a completely different profile when I logged in to when you logged in. So it was a very different way of trying to administer uh, computers that was, at least honestly, it was a little, it was kind of hard of a learning curve for me because now I was in troubleshooting people's computers. I was reliant on coordinating with them to coordinating with them to have them log into the computer to show me the problem. And yes, there were certain times where I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to change your password so I can log in as you, and then you'll have to change it back or change it to something else afterwards. I did that a number of times, um, but it was it was definitely a learning curve for me. Now, I honestly don't think, too, think twice about it because we have all the other tools. We coordinate with the users. We have all these other tools where we can look at people's profiles, understand how things work, and don't even think twice about how it used to operate back in Windows 98. So the, the progression of Windows operating systems has been, has been tremendous. Um, I mean, going from 98 to XP, which by itself was, was, was also a, a massive jump that I enjoyed. I, I completely ignore the fact that Windows ME was ever a concept. I, I've put that one out of my head. I don't, I don't acknowledge it as a legit Microsoft operating system. So Windows 98 to Windows XP, um, Windows XP to Windows 7, Windows 7 to Windows 10, Windows 10 to now Windows 11. The progression has just been great. And I'll be honest, the only complaint I really have about the progression of Windows operating systems is, is from a management standpoint and the fact that everything is being made now to geared toward a non-technical user. Um, that's the that's the progression that I've seen with the Windows operating systems that I don't like is and obviously, you know, I'm gonna be in the minority here most likely, but I don't like it because you don't it takes more clicks to get to certain to get to the more admin features. You know, I used to be able to go in and right click on the network icon and the in the uh, in the system tray and I get all my uh, all my network adapters I get everything that I needed to manage or modify network stuff within my Windows operating system now when I do that Windows 10 and beyond it, it there's about three clicks I have to go through if I don't know the actual you know app name the the .cpl name which I do <laughs> ncpa.cpl uh, if you don't know that, it's about three clicks to get to the same place. And three clicks, yeah, not that big a deal. But when you're working on a lot of computers, when you're trying to get some stuff done quickly, it, it really does um, hinder you and, and kind of holds you back a little bit in terms of how fast you can how fast you can make changes and get some stuff done. So that's one of the progressions that I've, I've not been a big fan of in regards to Windows operating systems and how they've they've progressed over the years. I 100% I know I'm in the minority when it comes to your typical users and, and Microsoft is not going to put the resources into making a, a, home, a true home version and a true uh, business version that are going to be working on separate, um, separate underlying operating systems or separate underlying code base. But at the same time, 
you know, you have your small IT departments and your small businesses who may not have super savvy IT people that need those more guided and helpful UI type interfaces and not the, the old school, as I should, should probably call it, the old school interfaces that give you um, quicker access to stuff. Um, so I'm going to have one more thing that I'm gonna, I want to talk about that I've seen from a progression standpoint that I, I love, 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 love. And that is the command line automation PowerShell piece. And this is something that it's just, it's, I love it. I'm, I'm very happy that Microsoft decided to go this route. And anyone who knows me knows that I am a major, uh, a major command line geek. If I can learn to do something in command line, if I can script it, I just ecstatic. Because I'm I'm that I'm that XKCD comic where <laughs> I'll take thirty minutes to an hour to do a task that should take two minutes so that I can automate it and never have to do it manually again. Um, that is that is me. And if you if you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of the XKCD comic, just Google XKCD pass the salt. <laughs> and I think I think that'll give you the, the comic that I'm referring to. Uh, but Microsoft has done a tremendous job over the years of being able to take their uh, uh, basically moving more towards a Linux type of of command line, and that was one of my biggest gripes over the years with Microsoft. And I'm again, I think I'm in the minority with a lot of sysadmins. Is one of my biggest gripes over the years is the number of administrative tasks that you had to do through a graphical interface. Exchange, uh, Exchange 2003 and Exchange 2007 were prime examples of this. Both of those had certain functions that you had to do in the, in the, the graphical interface. They did not have a command line version of it. And that just drove me nuts because I couldn't automate that. There's no way I can automate that. There's no way if someone says, hey, can you do this real quick? There's no way that I can just pull up a command line or PowerShell and knock that out super quick. Just can't do it with those versions. Um, Microsoft did start taking a drastically different uh, approach when they brought in PowerShell and started writing all of their applications to kind of be PowerShell first, if you will, in terms of how they uh, wrote their stuff. So I think starting with Exchange 2010, um, certainly Exchange 2016, Exchange 2013, Exchange 2016, everything that you could do, you could do via PowerShell. And then they, if I understood correctly, they wrote then the graphical interface to basically invoke PowerShell. Because if you remember the, the transition from, from, really actually from, I take it back, even from 2010, from 2010 to 2013 and 2016, you transition from an actual app, a fat app for management to a web interface. And that was, and that to me was kind of the, the piece that told me, hey, they're actually writing this stuff for PowerShell and then they're utilizing a web interface to invoke these PowerShell commands in the back end. Some early Microsoft applications, even before you'd finish like the wizard you'd go through in the graphical interface would actually give you the PowerShell command that it generated 
So in the future, you could use that as opposed to going through the graphical interface. They took that away after, I think, a year or so, but it was really cool in the beginning and, and in certain things. I think VMM actually did it, uh, Virtual Machine Manager would, would do that. And it was super, super cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great progression, and they've gotten to the point now where, and this is where I've I've actually been focused on uh, very recently too is is I'm trying to manage everything I can via server core. Now in certain places it doesn't make sense. Um, my home lab doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I just don't have the infrastructure um, to to really do a good. Um, core-based operating system because I don't have computers joined to a domain. I have test domains. I have that kind of stuff set up. So it's not a great place for me to practice with server core. But in my business, in my actual business where I've got a full data center, I've got servers set up, I've got um, applications to deploy, I am doing everything via server core. And I'm I'm still I'm still pretty happy about server core and the the more and more things that are supported on server core. And I feel like anything Microsoft puts out moving forward should support server core. I think that that everything can be remotely managed. I recently just set up a handful of IS boxes for um for web web APIs that use server core and I was able to do everything. The the web apps were written in .net and csharp.net and everything about the server server core and I've had zero issues with it. The server reboots faster than a server with a graphical interface. It needs less patching because there's less there's less stuff on it that would need those patches. There's less graphical stuff on it. There's no file explorer. It just works. Um, and there's and and because they're core and it's forcing me to use PowerShell, I can automate every last bit of it. Almost every last bit of it, but pretty much, I'd say somewhere around eighty to ninety percent, I can automate in terms of building those servers. So I get the server up on the domain with an IP address, and I run a script, and it's ready to go. So I can get these servers built a lot quicker than I can with a graphical interface. So that's some of the progressions I've seen over the years. Um, I hope this this audio has turned out to be okay <laughs> as I was driving. Um, definitely going to have to do some editing on it. But those are some of the progressions I've seen over the years that I've enjoyed. And to, to that point, one of the progressions I have not enjoyed um, of making things more user-friendly as opposed to admin-friendly. So take those with what you will. I uh, hope you enjoyed this first car cast. Um, and I hope to do more of these later unless you guys tell me that it really sucks. <laughs> if it really sucks, then I will scrap it and I will just continue to do podcasts in my office um, with my other microphone. So that being said, I hope you all have an amazing day. If you enjoy this podcast and want some other great information about being a systems administrator, then head on over to thesysadminschool.com where I give you as much information as I can about becoming a sysadmin. If you would like to also play around with some of the technology that I talk about, then you may be interested in my ebook showing you how to build your own lab environment for less than $400. You can get that ebook at $400lab.com. That's 400 the word dollar lab.com. Thanks again for listening and I hope you have a great day.